this is Amy Lombardi from TuneCore's Entertainment Relations Department. I'm based in Austin, Texas, and today you are listening to our Music Made Me podcast on music festivals. Thanks for joining us today. I'm going to be talking to Gene Spivey, the executive director of the Old Settlers Music Festival, which started in in Round Rock, Texas in 1987. 1987. So thanks for joining me today, Gene. I appreciate it. How are you doing? I'm good. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, no, I'm psyched. This is like, this is epic and iconic. And I'm really want to talk about the Old Settlers Music Festival, but I want to also talk to you about booking festivals and how independent artists can go about doing that. So if we could figure out a way to talk about both those things, it would be, it would be no fun. No problem. We good. can do that. So it started in 1987. Yeah, as a one-day bluegrass people uh, festival with about 100 people in attendance. Wow. And right. in Round Rock, Texas. In which Round is Rock, Texas. North of Austin. Mm-hmm. And now we're in um, just outside of Lockhart. We bought 145 acres in um, 2017. And um, we kind of morphed into a, um, an Americana festival, you know, blues, bluegrass, etc. Bluegrass is our home, you know, because that's how we started. But we do a lot of other kinds of music now. You know, like this year's headliners are Jason Isbell and Brandy Carlisle. Yeah. And then I mean, we that's have, insane. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank that's you. huge. Thank you. It's 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 a gonna be a big year. Um but anyway, we're multi generational. It's a very laid back vibe. It's a very community oriented festival. I mean, people come year after year after year. And there are people I have volunteers who have worked there since nineteen eighty seven. Wow. Um, and uh, so there are all these camps. Camping plays a big part of it. And there's tons of youth activities. But mostly, it's just laid back. It's a very, very Texas-friendly vibe. And it's April 11th to the 14th this year? Yes, April 11th to the 14th. Yeah, so that's also like some, there's usually like, we usually have pretty stable weather in April. I feel like in May it gets to be really frightening, and in September it's really frightening. Well, we've With had With our some rains. Rain. I, I mean, you know, and our people are really hardy, um, so we have what's known as a rain pause. <laughs> and, um, you know, we let Not the rain... Not a rain clause, but a rain pause. Rain pause. <laughs> Yes, so we don't say evacuate or anything like that because everybody would run screaming. So we say rain, pause, and then when it finishes raining, we just start up again. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. How long have you been working on it? This is a long time. You don't have to carbon date yourself if you don't want to. Um, no, just it's, say- uh, I, can, I can do that. I came to Austin in 1997, and I was doing work for whoever would hire me. Sure. And I ended up working with the publicist for Old Settlers Music Festival. So I was like stuffing envelopes and stuff. And um, so she gave me a ticket and I loved it. And the next year I worked in the merchandise booth. And then the next year in 1999, I pitched the director on me doing the marketing because I thought they weren't doing it very well and marketing is my background. So I got the job and um, then in 1996, no, 2006, the director said, I'm done. And the organization had $800 in the bank. (laughs) Yeah. And what we didn't know was that we were $40,000 in debt. I knew that was, I knew something like that was coming. Yeah. We found that out in February when we, when we rent, went to rent lights. Oof. Yeah. It was, it was a big kind of shocker. But, um, so what happened is, uh, the operations director, who was a volunteer, said, I'll do it. I'll do what I do. And I said, okay, I'll do everything else. And, you know, I'd worked for a concert promoter in college. And then I had gone into arts marketing. So I worked around a lot of events. Um, but I didn't know all that I was getting into. <laughs> I mean, it happens once a, once a year, but it takes an entire year to produce. It does take an entire year to produce. And um, anyway, the first year we paid off the, some debt, and then the second year we started making money. And um, in... So ni- like 2008 you started I started making in money. 2006, but in 2008 we started making yeah. money, you know, not, not having $800 in the bank. Mm-hmm. Um, and then in... 2009, they made it a full-time job for me because I had said 
I was still working my regular job, my consulting gig. And I had said, um, I can't do this anymore. You know, um, because you had two full time jobs because I had two full time jobs. I did that for seven years. It's very difficult. It's very (laughs) difficult. Anyway, I just said, you know, let me do the booking and let me do the marketing because I'm good at those things. But somebody else can do all the rest of this stuff. And they said no. And they gave me a full time job. So here I am. And um, last year, as I said, we purchased some land. That's amazing. I, I, I want to stop and just like point out the fact that like you started at, you know, the the bottom. Bottom level. And now you're the envelopes. executive director. And I just I, I just want to point that out because I know it seems like we all want stuff to happen so quickly and then all of a sudden you you're you're where you didn't even realize you could be and it's really important i bet you you can do this job so much more easily and fluidly because you've probably done every part of the job for the most part so it's like it's in your genes now so i started as a receptionist in the music industry that was my first job and i really worked my way up and around and so like i I just want to remind everybody that it's it's not so bad to start at the bottom because you really become so informed. So. I do think that's true for a lot of people in the music industry. And years ago, I heard Cameron Randall, who was the head of Hollywood Records, speak. And one of the most important things that I heard him say um, that I tell people all the time now is, you must be present to win. So you've got to be there. You've got to get out there. And yeah... Maybe you don't start where you want to start, but if you're there, you're likely to be there when a job opening, you know, when a job opens up. Yeah, for sure. Um, what, uh, what do you, like, what does your regular day look like? I know that sounds like crazy, like, but like, what are some like micro things you do for your daily responsibilities? What about some of your long lead work? I know the festival happens once a year. When do you guys start booking it? Uh, we start booking um, in June, but I have booked so bands. You, you book two months after the festival ends. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I mean, it's it's gotten earlier and earlier every year. And I actually have booked bands before the April festival starts for the following year's festival. I think that's happening in booking across the board. It is. It is. Especially with festivals. I think they're booking like way far in advance now. And, and even like major tours are getting booked like a year in advance now. Yeah. Maybe even longer than, like a year, longer than a year for stadium tours, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, t- no day is repeats itself. It's because I do so many different things that are both um, on the micro level, like you said, like approving social media posts uh, from our digital company, you know, to um, all of the budgeting and the creating it and managing it and forecasting it um, and working. We're a nonprofit. Oh, so, that's a whole other element. That's a whole other thing to do. Uh, we have six board members. They're very involved. I have a lot of conference calls. A lot. Um, and so, you know, it could be talent buying. It could be working with the production manager and the operations director. It could be we have 600 volunteers and we have 40 different crew leads. So it could be working with the box office, working with the safety crew, um, uh, working with artist relations on hotels and riders and things like that. So it's just, it's, every day is really different. How many, how many attendees do you get to the festival over the course of it? It's about, um, over the weekend, yeah. it's about 16,000. Wow. Well, that's fantastic that you have so much, so many volunteers. Um, because it's good. that really makes it run seamlessly. And, well, you know, there are seams, um, they don't show for the most part. Um, and uh, the volunteers are pretty dedicated. I have had some crew leaders since I started. And as I said, some of the crew leaders have been here since 1987. How do you, uh, how do you start booking the festival each year? Do you kind of figure out your headliner first and then and and maybe some local artists that you've been keeping an eye on? Or do you just take puts just start plugging it at any at any level of the staging well the first thing i do is i make list i make list of headliner possibilities i make list of of mid possibilities i ma- make list of emerging bands um that i might have seen at you know one of these booking conferences 
And um, so I make a lot of lists, but then it's kind of all together. You know, I, I usually wait for emerging artists, start in June, usually wait for the emerging artist until like October, November, December. Um, but I try to start with headliners and, and the middle of the bill. And um, because I do so many different things, I'm not, I'm not the talent buyer full time. Um, it's a long process. So it takes me from June to mid-December. Wow. I bet, I bet um, booking agents really appreciate that because they have an opportunity to, um, their, their, their time period of being able to pitch you um, and for an, one of their artists to grow in that time period, it, that all really can help an artist get booked on the festival that maybe wasn't ready to, you know, the previous June. That's really cool. Um, what kind of festivals and booking showcases do you go to to kind of like start seeing some of those acts? I go to the Americana Music Conference. I go to Folk Alliance International. And I go to the International Bluegrass Music Associations Conference. And then I'll go see stuff at South By. But I don't go as a badge holder. I just pick the showcases I want to see and I call the agents. Okay. So if anybody's listening and wants to kind of be seen by one of the the bot talent buyers for the Old Settlers Music Festival, they, you know, should they, probably consider going, going to one to of those Americana, which is in uh, Boulder. No, no Americana is oh, in Nashville. Nashville, right? Um, Folk Alliance has been in Kansas City, but it moves around. It does move. So, like next year is the year to go because it's going to be in New Orleans. Well, this year it's in Montreal. Yes, that's and then true. next year it's going to be in New Orleans. And, and then it yeah. moves back to Kansas City for yep. five or four years. I forget. Right. It's like a. It's like a planet. No, not a planet. It's like, it's like a little world. It's like a little world. <laughs> it's because all of the showcases. Um, Michael Corcoran described it as South by Southwest in a box. Yeah. Because the showcases take place in hotel rooms and, you know, um, um, conference rooms and all kinds of places. I mean, and, and you know, I'm, I see... I see good talent out in the hallway. Like the first time I heard John Fulbright, it was out in the hallway. Wow. And then I, I think I booked him that year because he was emerging at the time. And, and I didn't pay him very much because nobody knew who he was. And then. Um, but I did pay him. But, well, right. And we hope everybody's getting paid. Uh, when, when, you know, when, if somebody's making money, we hope that the artist is performing, is getting paid so they can make money too. Um, I think that's important. Yeah, it's hugely important. Um, what are some of the festival buyers looking for from, like, what are you looking for from the acts that you're booking? Well, uh, number one, and maybe it goes without saying, but they have to be good. <laughs> Let's make they, sure just, that. they just have to That's not a, suck. I and don't that know. is not that there's I I know what you mean by that. It sounds like that could be subjective, but I think what you mean is like if they they have to play their instruments and it, if they can't play their instruments, it has to at least be entertaining. I don't know. <laughs> I think yeah, I really think yeah, everybody okay, has to play okay, their okay, instruments. There are, but you especially there are people who have so much passion that maybe they're not the best players, but it's a really good look. So that is true. You know, if they have a kind of a really compelling stage presence, that can sometimes make up for the, you know, lack of guitar skills. Right. Yeah. I think it comes through if you know, you can just tell an artist really has something to say. Mm -hmm. and just got to say it before they can or, finish learning how to play that. Or the, yeah. Or the songs are really good. Yes. I mean, you have to look at all that stuff. Okay. I like when people send me links to performance videos. Like, I would tell an artist to spend the money, make a performance video. Don't make one of these, you know, high concept videos where I can't see you play. You know, or if you're playing, it's probably lip synced to the, the CD. And, um, you know, I would say that, and that makes much more sense. I think that wherever you're applying, you have to pay attention to who they've booked in the past These are and what kind points. of genres they deal with. I've had heavy metal people send me stuff, and I'm like, did you look me up first? You know what? I mean, I'm an Americana festival. Um, you know, and I just, I, I don't like to waste people's time, and I don't like my own time wasted. Okay. Yeah. Ruff. 
And well, <laughs> and to that point, I also like that when they send one sheets yes. that have where they've played, what other festivals they they've played because I might know that festival director and call him or her. And um I want to know the quality of the venue. So, you know, I know a lot of venues around the country. So if you say, you know, the Bluebird Cafe, that means one thing. If you say the Birchmere, you know, all of these are, you know, very quality clubs where you're going to see high quality music. Yeah. Um, you know, I watch socials. I want to see some press quotes. And again, it's got to be from something legitimate you know the the blogger who has a hundred followers doesn't count right well this is a i mean this is this is not a this is a substantial festival that's been operating for one two three forty years 42 years no wait 32 okay i'm i am good at math i'm not even gonna just that's doing okay. this other thing right now right um <laughs> And we aren't good at multitasking. As much as we think we are, we're not. That is the whole human experience podcast that we that we could have to talk about. To you help. know, but one thing I wanted to add about the acts is that booking is a big, giant puzzle. So we need a little of this and a little of that. And, you know, maybe we need some blues acts or an Ameri- or a, you know, classic country. Or we don't have enough bluegrass or we don't have traditional bluegrass and contemporary bluegrass because I want both or maybe we have too many male singer songwriters so sometimes good acts don't get booked just because they don't fit that year's puzzle yeah exactly like it every year is its own like traveling There's circus a whole ton of so, acts that I have to pass on because maybe I already have that in the lineup so if you're do, you, do those artists that get passed on for that specific year, do they get to know that that's why? I'd love to consider you in the – do they get that kind of response? Like, would love to would love to plug you in somehow in a future festival this year. It's not probably not going to work. Or is it just like a flat no? It depends. Um, sometimes I say, I'll pass. And that's just what it is. I'll pass. And sometimes I'll say, I'll pass. Hit me up again next year. Mm-hmm. And, and those it, are two different messages. Those are two different messages. But but what is there but the person who says who you say I'll pass to like like they they could go maybe work something out, work on it a couple of years and they should they should apply again at some point, right? Well, if, if they're if they're doing be- if they're building their their profiles and audiences and it's totally true because the good news is artists get better all the time. Yeah. And there are some artists, definitely true, that I have passed on, you know, three years ago that I booked this year. I mean, it's just, you know, people get better. And so you should never really give up. You should keep practicing. Yeah. And also, like, um, the styles change. Yeah, although we're, you know, we're Americana. There are things you're not going to hear at our festival. Like metal. Like metal. (laughs) Um, how about independent artists? A lot of our artists that use TuneCore, uh, not all of them, but a lot of a lot of them um, are also kind of they're maybe they don't have a booking agent yet, or maybe they don't have a record label. Maybe that's by choice. Maybe that's just because they're still waiting for the right the right connection, the right relationship, the right deal. Um, do they have a shot at playing old settlers, or in general, do you think um, they can be applying to festivals and be taken seriously? And what do they? What kind of background do they need to do that? Well, I do say. I mean, you you gave us like such amazing suggestions of what you're looking for. So you know, live video, performance video. There's socials. Whether or not the music is mm-hmm. good and fits the genre of the festival. Um, do you only work with booking agents, or do you work directly with independent artists? Well, booking agents help. You know, there's no doubt about that. Especially if it's an agent's ears that I trust, um, you know, that that agent is, is really pushing a band on me. You know, I really do listen when I trust those people, um, ears anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know what? We do hire a number of indies and actually, um, some of the bands we've hired have come from the campfires because there's a big campfire picking and play and scene. And so, like, this one band I have this year, Feeding Leroy, 
I've heard about them from years because people have been talking about them at the campgrounds while they're playing this year. Uh, Wooden Wire, who just got nominated for a Grammy, a Grammy. It's so met exciting. and first started playing at Old Settlers. And then I had another band where the people at the campground put together a petition and they said, please book this band. There were 300 signatures on that thing. So I, what was I going to do? You know, book the band. Um, this and then, is, you know, I think that there have been other indie artists that I've booked. And just saying, you know, I really like the video links. I like um, MP3s. I like email better. Uh, a CD package sometimes gets put in the corner. You know, but if it's, uh, if it's not, if it's an email, sometimes I'll stop and listen right then. Oh, right, right, yeah. I, I definitely prefer being able to do it all in one place because the only CD player I have is in my car now. Right, me too. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Um, do you consider, uh, we, we, I know you kind of mentioned um, social media numbers. Do you consider an act streaming numbers? Oh yeah. When you're looking to book them? I look at I look at all kind I look at all the social media outlets. I look to see how active they are on social media. I look to see how many followers they have. Like on Spotify. On Spotify. Or... I look at streaming numbers. Mm-hmm. Um I also look to see if there aren't any playlists like a Spotify playlist that they put out because those artists are gonna get way more airplay than something I'm kind of fiddling around looking for. Um you know, I listen to those daily, you know, new releases and stuff like that. How far in advance should a band apply? Well, if it's an emerging artist, I'd say, you know, don't hit me up till October. Okay. Um, you know, if you, uh, I don't really, I'm still worried about the bigger acts in June and July. Mm-hmm. You know? Okay. That's good to know. And um, what about some tips or best practices for artists to consider when they follow up on applying. Okay, well, first understand that we get hundreds of, you know... Submissions. Submissions, and um, we don't always get to them in a timely fashion, and we try to get to them. Um, so when you follow up, maybe I've, maybe I've heard it, and then maybe I haven't. But if you follow up, you get a much better chance of getting heard. Right. <laughs> As a former publicist, I can say that follow-up is like 50%. And it's so, it's of, so important. Yeah. It's so important. And, you know, and I think unless you hear I'll pass, you know, a second follow-up is just fine. And sometimes if it's a month apart, I might by that time need that type of act. Yeah. Uh, or And a reminder is helpful. I always think a reminder is helpful about it. Yeah. Don't be personally offended. Yeah. I'm not personally offended when people email me. Now, I'm not necessarily high on phone calls because that's really intrusive. An email I can do while I'm, you know, doing other things. Right. Right. Um, when, when you do accept artists, do you share kind of like any information on how they can help you promote the, sh- the, the festival or what do you, do you have expectations I do have expectations. I mean, I want people to promote, you know, to announce that they've got the gig on their socials. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, want to, want them to post early and often about us. And then even um, being on their socials at the festival is, you know, makes me want to have them back. Because that's helpful, even though it's during the show. And that's not really going to make people buy tickets. It does make people see the atmosphere and, you know, kind of the vibe of the festival. And, you know, it kind of gets the word out. So for next year. For next year. So that's important. And, and they're good partners. You know, and I want to be on your gig emails. You know, right. I want to be on those. And, oh, this is important. Once you're signed, immediately send us professional photos, professional video, and a professional bio. Just because if we don't have good photos or good video to promote you with, we won't. Right. So they're going to get extra promotion from, from the festival. If it's really a good, fa- a good video or something, oh, yeah, they'll get promotion. Anything that artists should avoid uh, when being offered a slot on a festival? Like, should, should an artist pay to be on a festival? I don't believe in that. I don't think it's respectful to the artist, and I just think it's kind of... Mm. 
I, I don't really believe that. I, I'd say there are some um, exceptions, and those exceptions would be booking conferences, like, you know, South by Southwest or right. Folk Alliance or, you know, right. something like that. I think those are really a legitimate place to get seen. I mean, and I see a ton of bands at those places and I write everything that I see down and then, you know, I can go back and reference it later and that kind of thing. So I say, don't do that. And then another thing is, I think some people say, well, just you know, play my festival for exposure and not get paid anything. And and that's different than the booking festival. That's different Americana, than the booking festivals. This uh, is, you know, a, this is a festival that's, that's, you know, doing okay and says just play for exposure. And I just think you have to watch for that. I think you should get something. Even if it's paltry, I think music and musicians should be valued. Yeah. Um, but that's, you know, I mean, you have to make your choice on that. Well, I, I also think, and I know this is my opinion and not the opinion of Tune Court. No, I'm joking. But uh, I think that, like, also it's a slippery slope. When too many artists are doing everything just for promotion, then then it devalues the whole entire system. So it's just one of those, like, things, united yeah. things. What are some of your goals for the festival? And how about your goals for your role in the festival? Okay, well... You know, some of the goals we're moving toward, actually, I think most of the goals we're moving toward, but it's things like, you know, I'd like to be the preeminent Americana Festival nationally. Like, I want to be, and sometimes we are, like, somebody put us in the same place as Telluride and Newport Folk and one other festival that I forget. Um, and I thought, <laughs> <No shade. laughs> I was like, really, you know, very pleased that we were in that company. Yeah. Well, I'd like to be thought of in that company more often. And um, I want artists to feel like they have to play it, like it's really important. And then when they do play it, I want them to have a really good experience and a good time so that then they'll want to come back. And, of course, some of that is happening now because, you know, people do talk well about us. Artists do talk well about us. But um, I really want that have to play yeah, you know. I know what you mean. And like um, it's a it's a career highlight. It's it, a career highlight. It goes highlight. on your, your bucket list, right? For your... I, or it goes in your bio. Yeah. Um, I want to be one of those festivals in your bio, and um, I think that I want to be more known for booking like the next big thing. I mean, we've had some hits like Lake Street Dive before, you know, they were popular, or St. Paul and the Broken Bones, or even um, this bluegrass artist Billy Strings, who's got a lot of traction right now. Um, so we've done a lot of that, but, you know, I want to do more of that because I think music discovery is a really important part of festivals. Yeah. And the goals for me, I'd like to do less and delegate more <laughs> because the thing is, I have done so many jobs at this festival, you know, I mean, from soup to nuts, or I've overseen the people doing those jobs. So I can do it, so I do do it. And, um, you know, that just isn't working for me right now. <laughs> I don't have a lot of free time. I'd like more. Miss Spivey needs a nap. <laughs> <laughs> or a drink. Or a, co or a cocktail. <laughs> yeah, that's a good goal to have, delegate yeah. more. And that means you have a lot of people to um, kind of train in your method, in your way of doing things. Because I, I do think that the... One of the reasons for the successful the the festival success and its great reputation is because of the way the artists are treated and the experience that the fans have. So, and I'm going to say because you've been there for quite a while, it it most likely has well s something to do with the way you've been running it and yeah. the entirety of the teams. Um, I was going to mention the team. Yeah, I mean, thank you for that. Um, I'd like to think I had something to do with it. But really, the heart of the festival are our volunteers. Yeah. I mean, you have I mean, 600 of them. Yeah. So and they can outnumber And they're running things. You know, there's production volunteers and operations and backstage catering and artist relations. So, I mean, you know, they're running it and it's their attitude and their kind of can-do chipper thing that actually makes it work. That's amazing. Well, I... Gene Spivey, Executive Director of the Old Settlers Music Festival. Um, 
has been my guest uh, to talk about festivals. And I have enjoyed this conversation so much. I think it's a goldmine of information for artists and just book, playing any festival. So thank you so much for sharing all of this, uh, your expertise and your information. And thanks for coming to uh, the TuneCore's Music Made Me podcast. Well, thanks, Amy. It's been a pleasure and I'm glad I could help. I am psyched to have you. Thanks for sticking around to listen to the second part of our Music Made Me podcast on booking festivals. Right now, we're, are, we are joined by Christian Chiani from C3 Presents, an Austin-based um, promoter, prom, prom, promoter, would you say it like that? And management company. Um, they, they bring us the Austin City Limits Music Festival. They bring us Lollapalooza. They bring us Kristen. Oh, um, we are uh, involved with festivals like Bonnaroo, uh, Voodoo, Governor's Ball. Um, there's there's countless others, um, but ACL and Lollapalooza are kind of what we're most known for because they are now worldwide brands that we have kind of expanded across the globe. And thank you for joining me. I'm so excited thank you you're for here. Having me. So, where are these festivals across the globe? Um, so Lollapalooza was the first one, which we do with um, Perry Farrell. Yes. The lead singer of Jane's Addiction. I saw um, the first Lollapalooza. Uh, in the 90s. I was I was like a toddler. A young tyke. It was crazy. Um, <laughs> so Perry brought us on in like 2004 um, when we made it a destination festival in Chicago, which before it had been a, a touring festival. And um, over the years, we, we grew it and um, the festival would sell out every year. Um, and we ended up adding an extra day. So now the festival starts on Thursday. So it's four day festival. Um, and so the first kind of interest outside of, of the United States was in South America. Um, so we now have Lala, Chile, Brazil, and Argentina. Um, and now we've expanded it into Berlin and Switzerland and, um, you know, the, and Paris, uh, and and more markets on their way. So um, so it still travels. It's just not it travels, one thing but it traveling. Is now, <laughs> right, exactly. The lineups vary, although um, they're pretty similar once. The, the same bands will kind of play. Uh, they'll be on the same circuit for like the South America festivals because it's just a lot more conducive to making it worth their time that way. Yeah, it also makes it a lot more financially efficient for the artist to, to be going through there instead of flying across the world mm-hmm. to do all of the different festivals. Absolutely. I didn't know, I didn't realize that. That's fascinating. Yeah. And um, and C3 Presents brings us Austin City Limits Festival as well, mm-hmm. which we have we host here in Austin, mm-hmm. Texas. It's just That's our where, baby. Where just where I'm based. Yeah, it is. It's your baby. Um I know you are a talent buyer at C3. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um and I know you've been there almost 13 years, and I know you've had a lot of different roles. So you don't really, you're not really involved in booking the festivals and as a talent buyer in the festivals today. Correct. But you have been. Yes. And I want to hear about, like, the, the different roles that you've had at C3. Sure. Um, so in 2006 is when I started, and I uh, had just graduated college. At the time, you know, we weren't even C3 Presents yet. We were... A, uh, we were two separate companies then, Capital Sports and Entertainment and Charles Hell Presents. And uh, I was working on the event production side under CSE. And, uh, you know, at the time it was just me and my then boss, Lisa Hickey, uh, who I to this day just admire more than anyone. Um, I think everyone in Austin and, and probably elsewhere loves Lisa Hickey. She's just the best. Yeah. Um, and she, she really... She she brought me on and she trusted me and it, her and I were the festival marketing department and um, you know I was just a you know measly little intern at the time and um, within a few months she was like I you know I want to hire you full time and I you know was excited and um, and I started helping her market the festivals um, Lollapalooza ACL we we did a this country festival in College Station that probably not that many people know about, but it was called Big State, and it was this country festival meets NASCAR. And, um, well, we lost a lot of money. College Station. We decided not to bring that one back. 
Um, but that was one of the first festivals that, that I worked on. You know, on. I had to interrupt because nobody thinks that you guys have had any, oh yeah, they there's have done some... anything that has not been successful. <laughs> well, so. there's been some big dingers. But that's the, I, hey, I love humility. So thanks for sharing. Um, absolutely. Um, oh man, there was like fires. I mean, anything, it was like Murphy's Law, that festival. If there was something that could go wrong, it did. Um, but so from then, you know, 2007, we, we, we kind of merged all the music assets and became c3 presents um and you know the rest from there is kind of history we went from a 40 person company from when i first started to now i think we have over 200 people so i've seen a lot of growth um where are your offices we are on uh, east 6th street oh i mean in the country oh we've got i'm sorry we've got um an office in new york that's where our, the management company it's our affiliate company uh is based out of um offices in new york and la and then we've kind of got other offices based on where we do our the festivals um you know in atlanta you know we've got the shaky knees and shaky beats festivals we do out there and we're affiliated with well obviously we are live nation now they're our our, our our parent company um so music midtown we've got the live nation atlanta offices there we've got um uh, New Orleans office, uh, Chicago, you know, you name it. A lot of the same places that TuneCore has offices. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, so, sorry, to finish your the rest of your question. So, from there, the first several years, I was doing festival marketing. And then uh, I, I transitioned into club marketing. So, I was doing marketing for a lot of the venues we booked in Austin and in Dallas and around um, kind of the state. And uh, we just got busier and busier and... Um, for whatever reason, I decided I, I got the itch to start booking and, um, I've always kind of been a little bit of a music nerd. And so I approached my boss, um, who's also one of my best friends, Amy Corbin. And I said, Hey, I think I want to get into this booking thing. And she said, all right, well, let's, let's try it out. I'm going to start you off with a small club and see how it goes. Cause you know, you might suck. And, uh, it turns out I wasn't too terrible at it, so I think I've been I've been booking exclusively for about seven or eight years now. So yeah. So what what clubs do you book now? I book Emos here in Austin, which That's is a like sixteen hundred capacity venue, um, and I and I put shows in the Mohawk as well. I've booked most rooms in Austin at some point, um, but Emos we we now it's an owned and operated venue, so I oversee the booking for that. Um, and I'm transitioning presently into amps and arenas. So um, now putting shows in venues like the Austin 360 Amphitheater and Frank Irwin Center and, um, you know, the, the, the very large scale uh, arenas. Uh, and then I book a venue in Las Vegas called the Chelsea, which is at the Cosmopolitan. It's a 3,500 cap venue and um, we put a little bit of everything. It's definitely not your typical casino property. Um, you know, we've had, you know, like I think like uh, Jay-Z and Coldplay did the opening of, of the venue there several years ago. You know, we've had bands like Foo Fighters and, um, you know, we, well, we were supposed to have Ariana Grande over New Year's, but she got sick and had to cancel. Uh, it's good to get kind of a little bit of perspectives of, of how both worlds operate. Well, you can put a lot of different things in a 3,500 capacity Vegas venue than you can in a lot of other things. I mean, you could put a DJ there. You could put, you could just put, it, it could be a lot of different types of entertainment. Absolutely. I mean, we've had everybody from Willie Nelson and Bob Dylan to... Duran Duran to Amy Schumer and Adam Sandler and Dave Chappelle to, you know, uh, Florence and the Machine and Foster the People and uh, Dua Lipa and, you know, you name it. So we're all over the spectrum with that room. Hmm. That's really interesting. That's I think that's really keeps things exciting and interesting yeah. for you mm-hmm. so the you guys have so many festivals attached to c3 um they're going on all year round mm-hmm. so typically yeah. how far in advance depending on the size of the, mm-hmm. the festival obviously which is the biggest one acl in austin uh Lollapalooza is the biggest okay that we're doing is well and then, the... well I'm just talking about United States I I probably won't have as many statistics on the global ones because there, there's teams that are running boots on ground that are though we have partners in every country mm-hmm. um but you know definitely in in ACL because it's two weekends I guess would be the biggest but 
Grant Park in Chicago where we do Lollapalooza is um, the biggest. You know, we can have upwards of 100,000 people Mm -hmm. there. So, um, you know, those are definitely our two biggest festivals. So how far in advance do those two festivals of that size start getting booked? I mean, a year out, we start booking headliners um, a year in advance if we can. Um, But sometimes, you know, like this year, it's, it's commonly known in the music industry um, at least amongst promoters, this year has been a little bit tougher to get headliners locked in. There's not as many working bands. Um, and so, you know, really to fill out the rest of the lineup, the meat and potatoes or the undercard, if you will, uh, to, to get all of those acts, you really can't, you have to almost hold off on doing any of that until you have your, your headliners locked in because that's where the bulk of the budget comes from. So, you don't know how much you're going to have to allocate to the rest of the lineup. If you get a, you know, multi-million dollar act, you might have to book a lot smaller acts on the, on the rest of the lineup versus if you get a couple of big acts for a little bit more modest price, you might be able to spend a little bit more on the undercard. Right, which is great for emerging artists if there's, you know, more opportunity for them mm-hmm. to be booked. Absolutely, yeah. Um. I didn't know that it was a tough year for booking those big headlining acts, but I suppose that that, that might go along with all the fact that tours in general are being booked so far in advance now, oh so gosh, people yeah. know when the artists actually are having more control of what's happening in their lives and their careers, mm-hmm. so they're planning it way farther out, and they're just like, yeah, no, I'm not working this year. Well, and you almost have to, you know, at Emos, for example, I've got, you know, it's not unheard of for me to be eight to ten holds deep um you know meaning there's eight to ten acts that want a certain date in the venue or that are at least holding for a potential date um but compared to a lot of other venues that number is small i mean there's some venues in the major major markets like new york or um, like red rocks in denver um you know they'll be 20 something holds deep and so they have to book sometimes two years out or a year and a half out and you know for us you know I'll, I'll book I've got I've had a um shows booked this coming November f- for several months so those were booked well over a year out but I would say that's a little bit more rare in the club world um you know I'm st- there might be another show or two for this coming April that I end up booking so it just it just kind of varies and depends on some shows you know need a little bit longer of an on sale period they might take a lot longer to sell, whereas others might blow out immediately. Mm-hmm. So it's just so it depends of, on when the when you're going to do your on sale. There's date. no specific formula for every artist. It just you really kind of have to be familiar with the trends of how a certain genre or type of artist might sell. Well, I think uh, isn't it also a lot of it is about experience and feel because sure. you just yeah. have to. It, there's that that what you just said about there's no specific formula mm-hmm. for every artist is across the across the board in the music industry it's there's true. no one formula that's going to work for every artist or and, sometimes and, it's literally a gut feeling yeah yeah not always about an emerging artist that you could see like you can see all the points being put together and you know that they have maybe a team in place even though nothing's happened yet right i mean and the team behind an artist really does matter um, you know, if you have kind of an all-star team, they might be giving you a lot of attention. They might be putting a lot of efforts around the promotion of your record or, um, of your, of your tour, whatever. Um, but then there's some that are a little bit more DIY that end up having this outrageous success. And it's, you can't ever, you know, say why something might happen, but, um, but it's interesting to watch too, you know? And I think where we are now presently with, in music um, I think it's exciting to see new trends. Um, some of the music that I'm most passionate about, you know, may not sell as well nowadays. It may not sell like it used to five and ten years ago. But, um, you know, there's other artists that I, you know, may not be so much what I'm passionate about that are, you know, will blow out every venue on the on sale. So it's you really have to keep your finger on the pulse. And that's what kind of keeps things um exciting well yeah i mean sometimes it can be like this is i'm i have a feeling about this because i love it and sometimes it could be 
I have a feeling about this, even though I'm not connecting with it, I know there is an audience for this and they're going to want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. What are, what are, what are the buyers at C3 looking for in the acts that they are booking? Like, is there um, social media? Are they looking at playlists? Are they looking at um, streaming numbers? PR? Streaming like, numbers are great. Press quotes? Um, streaming for sure. Now on the, on the kind of local level that, that's a little bit more tough. We're not looking so much at that. You're not established yet. Um, at the local level, I would say we're looking for artists that are, are a little bit more DIY. They're willing to put in the efforts. They're not just relying on somebody else to promote their show or a manager to get them the gig. Like they're out there, boots on ground, working. Um, you know, maybe they're they're flowering their shows or they're sending their music out to different people, um, and they're putting in the time and effort that it takes to promote the show. They realize that it's on them, right? You can't just sit back and expect people to do your job for you. And I think that's really important at the local level because that's where it starts. And you, we notice bands work ethic. Um, that's until, a really huge thing that you just said that you you're actually paying attention to the 100%. bands in the, in local markets and kind of seeing how they're, how they're doing all of this work before they have a team doing it for them. Well, it's true. You know, it's not my job, you know, even though I'm a promoter, if you if nobody knows you you as an artist yet, um, and you're trying to sell you know a 200, 300 cap venue and and you know it's your job to help get your name out there. You know I can't do all the work for you, um, so I think it's important that bands put in the effort. And then you know as you expand and and we see that bands are touring and and they're playing outside of the market. Um, you know, I'd say streaming numbers slowly start to become a little bit more important. Um, that sounds fair. Yeah, you know, it, it's slowly. It's if again, if you're a, if you're kind of a, a young emerging artist, you're not going to have a ton of streaming numbers. But um, but you can tell a lot nowadays from a band streams and uh, you know how similar artists have sold. So I would say, without a doubt, that's something that we're looking at. You know, now you can look on like Shazam and see what artists are trending how many people are, are checking to see what artist is or what artist that is um and you can break it out by market um doesn't that doesn't shazam go towards your sound scan now as well i think it does i yeah, think it does i think so which is really cool mm-hmm. well it's so important you know even like with with tv shows and and movies um, you know, sync is so important for a band too. I mean, it's not easy to always accomplish, but if you're working your music and you're talking to music supervisors and you're able to, you know, land a song in a film or a TV show or a commercial, I mean, that can make or break your career even. Um, so there's, you know, easier said than done, of course, but that's something that I think um, bands should also, you know, be paying attention to. So once you book a band or once one of the, when a C3 presents festivals, books a band, what kind what are the expectations like to help promote their set, their show, their festival <coughs> slot? Um, what, what, what's like the, what's your ideal in what the, that act could be doing to promote their performance? Um, I would say having a presence on all social media platforms for sure. You know, make sure that whether it's a, a show at a club or a show at a festival, you know, make sure you're announcing it when the when the show announces. Right. Because um, a lot of fans may not follow a venue specifically, but they're a big fan of an artist. And so once they see that the artist is playing a show, that's important, um, especially if you're talking about a destination festival. Absolutely. Because then they can then the, those fans can consider a road trip. Yeah, and people will. People will travel to see bands. People come from all over they to do. go through to go to ACL or Lollapalooza. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think, you, you know, know, because you can't drive in Austin when it's ACL festival. <laughs> no, you can't. You almost have to like <laughs> helicopter in. That's F one. Yeah, <laughs> we should we should start. Uh, so okay, so social media is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, what about from the festivals? Do you like to see activity of them posting from mm-hmm. the festivals? Yeah, that's great when they can. Um, you know, we will, we'll give artists, we have, you know, official festival photographers and, um, we'll share our 
content with them if they want to, you know, repost it, they can. Um, you know, sometimes they'll have somebody designated from the band that wants to take photos. Um, sometimes the bands themselves will take photos. You know, it's great. It, it builds a story and it, it's content mm-hmm. for their fans. And I think that's really important. You know, you have to engage. It's, you, if, you, if you have a, an Instagram account and you post once a month, well, that doesn't mean anything, right? You have to be very consistent. Um, so I would say consistency is key. And, of course, if you're playing, you know, five different festivals and, and you're on tour playing club shows uh, along the way, what's well, a lot of posting about every show. You don't have to post about every show every minute. But, you know, maybe you announce the tour. Maybe you do um, some sort of contest or, or giveaway. Or maybe you kind of document along the way, like the path to Lollapalooza or the path to ACL, whatever. People like that kind of stuff. Um, you don't want to be too rigid with your content, I don't think. So um, get creative with how you're talking to your fans. And that's, you know, look at what look what Drake has done. I mean, I know that's like this really big superstar but he has this insane following um he's the way he's always told his stories or reached his fans is um it's unique in a lot of ways and people just respond to it and i don't there's no again there's no specific formula other yeah, than you have yeah. to find out nobody what works knew for your who he fans. was when he first started so exactly yeah. um so just i think it's something to to pay attention to I love the idea of, like, the story, you know, the, the story or the drive to or the bus ride or whatever to ACL or mm-hmm. Lala or South mm-hmm. by Southwest. I love those kinds of stories because you can really get have so much fun with them. I mean, not that I, I wish anybody a flat tire or anything like that, but there are so many different things that happen on yeah. tour that there's there's always bound to be, like, a bad meal or, you know, something like that. So what if an artist isn't ready to play one of your rooms or be booked for a, a, a festival through C, C3, like what's – but you can kind of see potential. Is it like stay in touch? If, are you booking independent acts? I know sure. locally you are. For sure. So is it kind of like stay in touch? you keep files? you keep like email files on different <laughs> artists and just trying to keep an eye on what, what their profile's doing? I would say we definitely keep an eye on as many artists that reach out to us as we can. We, on uh, as well as any festival promoter, um, you get hit with a lot of quote-unquote submissions. You know, we don't take officially, you know, submissions. Um, but people, we welcome, if, if people want to send us what they're working on, you know, we, we try to listen to as much as we can. Um, we put ourselves in an artist's shoes and, you know, we know that they just want to, they want to get somebody to, to take a listen. And that's yeah. something that we take pride in is trying to actually spend some time with the music. And even if it's, you know, two minutes, you know, at least give it a shot. Right. Um, I think two minutes is actually kind of a lot now. Yeah. And exactly. People I mean, working in sync licensing, mm-hmm. especially. You get like 30 seconds, 20 seconds. I don't, yeah. Um, it, a lot of times you can tell if something's good within 10 seconds, right? Um, you might be like, oh, wow. Okay. This this is not what I thought. It's not or, what we're booking right, this exactly. year. Or it's just maybe it's um, not ready, but maybe in a couple of years yeah, it, and I think statistics are nice if you say, hey, we've we've played the market. Well, if, if you've played the market, we're probably familiar with you. Um, but we do try to pay attention to a lot of the artists that have spent time. You know, we'll take Austin, for example. If we're booking shows in Austin and they've played our venues or other, or other venues um, and we know that they've kind of built a following, well, we might start to pay attention to that and say, okay, you know, you've now done two or three shows here you know, you, you probably do deserve a slot on the festival. You know, you've, you've put in the work. They're ready. You're developing, yeah. You've developed a fan base. This would play really well in front of, you know, X act. Um, and so that's something that we do pay attention to for sure. What do you think some of the goals are for, um, for C3 right now in their festival and in their club bookings? And now, I guess, arenas and... Oh, man... Amphitheaters um, is, is probably one of the more recent goals that they've just reached, right? Well, amphitheater and arenas are great. You know, you can reach a lot of people. Um, there's a lot fewer large amp and arena acts out there versus, you know, kind of like the 
mid-sized rooms in a, in a thousand to 2,500 to 3,000 cap range, right? There's is that because lot- of Netflix and Hulu <laughs> or is that because there aren't uh, as many artists yeah. that can sell that many? Because it, it's exactly. an expensive show to present and so the tickets yeah. have to be a certain price. and You have to be able to sell tickets. Right. And there's just fewer bands that can sell 10 to 15 plus thousand tickets and there are bands that can sell a thousand to two thousand tickets that's just how it is um to make it to where you're able to sell that ten thousand plus range i mean you really have to well some artists I, i you can't even say anymore that some artists really put in the time and effort because you know you take an artist like post malone for example i mean that guy like you know blew up so quickly we had him on we had him on the the i think it was a 4 p.m slot at Lollapalooza this past year and his audience like it went back to the to the fountain buckingham fountain buckingham fountain right it it was one of the biggest shows we had that weekend and um you know we talked about him a lot because that doesn't always happen right he's kind of i've been a unique example but i think it's important to call those examples out because sometimes it it just it happens, you know, another Could artist. Could he have been on later then? If He, if he could have, but when we confirmed him in a slot, that was And there's no was... going back, because once you're confirmed in right. that slot, everybody right. else is confirmed there's in their t- slot. There are, the, there, there are the occasional exception where, you know, an artist has just kind of exploded, and so it doesn't make as much sense for them to play, you know. You know, maybe they were originally on like a 12 or 1 p.m. slot, and now maybe they really need to be at a 4 or 6 p.m. slot. Um, that's rare, but it does happen. Um you know, another example is Billie Eilish. She was confirmed on these club dates. I had her at Emo's. She blew out within seconds. And now she could sell 10,000 tickets easily on her after her first real tour. Um, but, you know, that's music is different nowadays. And, you know, you talk to people that are kind of industry veterans and sometimes they get kind of frustrated or annoyed. But you can't really hate on what is because it's just where things are nowadays you have to kind of look into 20 and 30 years from now you know when I was a kid I'm sure you know promoters at the time were scratching their heads like what are these kids listening to and so I think it's important to pay attention to the trends now because it's just going to keep evolving music is still music you know people want to see music in good times and in bad times. And I don't think that the live industry is showing any signs of slowing down. Um, it's just changed a little bit. Yeah, I also think that like attention spans are, are shrinking because of our connection to yeah. like electronics and just tech and technology and, and how we live now. So like w- the fact that there aren't enough bands to play 10,000 and above venues isn't so much because music has changed. Mm-hmm. It's because we've changed. So mm-hmm. if a band can sure. maybe t- play, you know, 10,000 capacity, 20,000 capacity arena one year, depends on what they're doing to keep that popularity up four years, five years later. So the thing is, is that like, our, our maybe our habits are changing, but like, we're the same people that Shakespeare wrote about, you know, inside. <laughs> so... Um, so what are some of your personal goals at C3? Um, that's a great question. Well, thank you. I, I think I, you know, this year, um, I, I would really like to expand upon the number of shows we're booking in the Amp and Arena space. You know, it'll take a lot of getting creative. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm new to that world. Um, I've been booking in the club space for so long that, it's a challenge, but I love a challenge. And, you know, like I said, there might be fewer acts that are worth 10,000 plus tickets, but maybe we get creative with putting unique bills together or, um, you know, picking off of maybe there's certain private events or other festivals in the area. Maybe you can kind of get creative and see if they want to come do something around a certain holiday and you turn it into kind of more of an event you know it takes getting a little bit creative but I like that um so I think you know just booking as many shows as I can and um whether it's emos or at the cosmopolitan in Vegas or you know wherever um but yeah just book 
book a lot, I guess. Book, that's, book that's like away. A, that's a, that sounds so corporate of me. <laughs> book shows. Um, but yeah. No, I think it sounds actually militant. No, I'm joking. <laughs> no, it's, it sounds determined. It sounds determined. And I'm going to go with you to a show at the Cosmopolitan this year. To. That's one of my Please. goals this year. I think oh, we, great. Should, we should all go to the club because Let's there's see. also that – well, there's that milk place out there at the Cosmopolitan. The milk bar. So we the do. There's bar, a Momofuku yeah. now. Yeah. God, they have the best food there. So, um, so we'll do that. That's one of my goals. Kristen Chiani from C3 Presents. I can't thank you enough for joining me. It's been uh, our Music Made Me podcast from TuneCore on booking festivals and booking in general. And Kristen, you gave us a ton of insights on like just the music industry and where it's at right now, not just in Austin, but you know, around the country and around the world from a perspective of like one of the most respected promoters in the, you know, that's out there today. So thank Thank, you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. It was my pleasure to talk to you. It was mine as well. Thanks everybody. I'm Amy Lombardi from TuneCore's Entertainment Relations Department. I am based in Austin, Texas, and I really appreciate you joining us for Music Made Me. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to Music Made Me, the TuneCore podcast. The opinions expressed in this episode are those of the individuals talking and don't necessarily reflect the opinions of TuneCore. Check out TuneCore.com to help you distribute your music, register your original songs worldwide, and more. Connect with us on all social channels at TuneCore. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes. 